if you're new to St. Peter's, I want to add my, my welcome. My name is Rob, and I'm an intern here at St. Peter's. I was actually just being told earlier this morning in the lobby that apparently I look a lot like a mad scientist from Stranger Things in the new series. I'm, I'm not a mad scientist that I know of, um, but it's kind of a... I, I don't know if that's a good thing. It might not be a good thing, but uh, I'm really glad that you're here to, and joining us this morning. Uh, if you've been following along with us for the last while as a church, you'll know that we've been going through uh, a couple of different series. We've been looking through... Uh, the, the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been spending some time in that. And then we just also recently finished up a series going through the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Now, today we're actually not going to be doing any of that. Uh, we're going to be going off-roading a little bit and uh, specifically looking at uh, a very important topic in the Christian life and faith, and that's the topic of contentment. Contentment. And specifically, I want to explore the question, how can we live contently in our day-to-day -day life? What is the key to contentment? And to explore this, we're going to be turning to this passage in Philippians. So just to give you a quick primer on the book of Philippians, uh, this is a short letter which was written by the Apostle Paul and his friend Timothy to a church they helped plant in the Roman city of Philippi. They'd planted this church about 10 years earlier when Paul and Timothy first arrived in the city. And, and when they first arrived, they met a small handful of women who were gathered down by the river outside the city gates. But before, not before too long, a, a church had started, and it was meeting in the home of a local businesswoman, and it was starting to grow. People from all walks of life started to join this small new church. And after a little while, Paul and Timothy, they, they had to move on, and they had to go to other cities to tell other people about Jesus. And as they were leaving, the Christians, the small little church in Philippi, they said to them, hey, we want, to help, we want others to know about this good news about Jesus too. So let us help you. And although they didn't have very much to give, they, they gave of themselves, and they gave extravagantly to help provide funds for these men as they traveled around the world to tell others about Jesus, because they believed that the good news about Jesus was too good to keep to themselves, and they wanted to share Jesus with the world. And then 10 years later, they, they got news about one of the men, because you see, as Paul had been going around telling people about this message of Jesus, some people didn't take too kindly to the message. They saw that Jesus was going to change how their society would work. And if people started worshipping Jesus instead of the local pagan gods, then that was going to completely turn the whole economy around pagan worship up in its head. And if people started worshipping Jesus instead of the Roman emperor, then there's the risks that the Roman military might come in and destroy them. So they put Paul in prison and locked him away because he was sharing a message of hope. And when the little church he founded in Philippi had learnt what had happened to Paul, they decided that they wanted to help. And so once again, they gave generously of themselves, and they sent a gift of money to Paul to support him while he was in prison. And it was so that he could eat and so he could stay alive. And the hope was that after he would get out of prison, that he could go out again and start telling other people about Jesus. And so Paul got their gift, and, and he was grateful, and he wrote them this letter back, this letter which we now call Philippians. And today I want us to specifically consider what Paul is talking about in Philippians 4, 10 to 13, as he talks about this key to contentment. And the big idea I want to unpack for us today is this. Depending on Christ is the key to contentment. Depending on Christ is the key to contentment. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, beginning of verse 10. I'm actually going to be uh, using the NIV translation of, of the Bible today, just because I think it's got a slightly more helpful translation of this passage from the Greek. Uh, sometimes when the Bible can feel a little bit confusing or unclear, it can be helpful to just check, see what other translations say. 
Uh, so if you've got one of our great Bibles from the back, please do follow along. You just might notice that some of the words are a little bit different, and that's actually okay. Um, and everything will also be on the screen behind me. So Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, if you think about it, that's not exactly what you would expect to hear from someone who you just gave a gift to. Like, it, it almost sounds as though he, he's got this gift, he's just kind of snubbed it and, and demeaned it. Like, oh, well, thanks, I guess. I wasn't expecting that. Um, I'm, I'm okay, I didn't need it, but, but thank you. It's, it's kind that you still care about me. And, and at a first reading, it, it can kind of sound like that, can't it? But this isn't actually a dismissive thank you. That's not what Paul is saying here. And if we stop and pay attention and just dig a little bit deeper, we'll find that there's something really profound going on here. Because at the heart of this passage is the theme of contentment. Look with me in verse 11. Paul writes, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So Paul has, has learned to be content. He goes on in verse 12 to say, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul has learned to be content. He's, been, he's learned to be content no matter what the circumstance is. He's content whether he's dining at the table with a king or whether he's in a jail cell starving with rats for company, whether life's going great and everything's going completely his way, or whether life's falling apart and it feels like the ground has been swept out underneath his feet. He says he's learned the secret of being content no matter what his circumstances are. But what does he mean by contentment? Sometimes I think when we, th we think of this, this idea of being content, we, we get this idea in our heads of, of happiness and being happy and seeking an abiding happiness. People want to be happy, right? I mean, it's a good thing. It, it feels nice to be happy. Even the word itself has this fun ring to it. Happy, right? It's got that fun sort of cadence and tone to it. And usually we, we try to be happy by trying to find things that will give us a sense of comfort and security or pleasure. In effect, we're depending upon something else outside of ourselves to be the source of our contentment. We're hoping in something or in someone. And so often in, in this quest to be happy, we seek after an other thing dependence. In, in the hope that something outside of us will fulfill us and satisfy us. But I suspect that there's many of us in, in this room who, who have experienced what happens when that doesn't actually happen. And as I've been sitting with this text, especially this week and wrestling with what Paul is saying here, I've actually found myself kind of irritated with Paul and, and irritated about him talking about contentment. Because as I've sat with this text, I've realized that there are many areas in my life where I actually feel really discontent. And I suspect that if we're being honest with ourselves and with each other, many of us would admit that actually we feel the same way, that in many areas of our life we feel discontent. 
Maybe we're feeling discontent because we think we need to have certain things in our life, or we want to have certain things in our life to make us feel happy. And we're frustrated that we don't have them. Or maybe we're feeling discontent because we thought we needed these things to make us happy, and we actually got them, only to discover that they haven't satisfied us the way that we hoped. And so some of us might be feeling kind of jaded and incredulous and cynical about this whole idea and discussion about contentment. And I think it's important to acknowledge that and just to name that. Because there is a very strong dimension of this topic of contentment which is intertwined with the idea of hope. And some of us have had our hopes taken away from us. And so we've experienced what happens when happiness fails or when happiness runs out. And happiness is, is nice and it feels good, but some of us have experienced what happens when that fails. And that's actually, none of that is what Paul's talking about here. Paul says he's learned to be content whatever the circumstances. No matter what was going on in his life, whether he's dining at the table with a king, or whether he's starving in a prison cell with rats for company, whether life's going great and everything's going completely his way, or if life's falling apart and it feels like the ground has been swept out beneath his feet. He says he's learned the secret of contentment no matter what's going on in his life. He's not saying that he's other thing dependent. He's not interested in the pursuit of happiness. He's saying that he's figured out how to be happy in the midst of every single circumstance. And there are things which happened in Paul's life. He got shipwrecked in his life. He was thrown in prison. I don't think he was happy when he was thrown in prison or got shipwrecked. But he says that he was content. So contentment for Paul is not an other thing dependence. He's not interested in this pursuit of happiness. Paul uses a very specific word here in the Greek. It's the word autarkes. And some of you thought you were done with school and you were done with foreign languages. Um, I've got news for you. Uh, today we're having a small little Greek lesson. Um, so say this word with me, autarkes. Very good. Uh, this is a word which the ancient Greek Stoic philosophers used. Uh, and when they used this word, they meant a sort of self-sufficiency or self-reliance upon themselves. When the ancient Stoic philosophers talked about being content, they thought that they needed to become completely detached from the world and unmoved by everything around them. They wanted to become, and, and they prized becoming, self-reliant and self-dependent. Because you see, like, like some of us, these philosophers had discovered and realized that some of the things that they had hoped would satisfy them didn't really deliver, and they didn't really live up to the hype. And so they decided that it would be better just to not hope in any of these things at all. And I think that might be a temptation that some of us might feel and experience too. Or it might be a self-help solution which we've picked up on or have been taught about somewhere along the way. And it's kind of a popular idea today, isn't it? To, to depend upon ourselves and to be independent and self-reliant. To, to find contentment and satisfaction in life by becoming detached from hoping in things outside of ourselves, especially those things which we can't control. But the thing is, that's not what Paul is talking about here either. Paul isn't interested in other thing dependence, but he's also not interested in self-dependence. He uses this word autarkes, but he flips the meaning completely on its head. He isn't talking about becoming a stoic or a cynic. He's repurposing the word, and he's reimagining what it means to be content. He's saying, actually, we can find a way to be content by depending upon something outside of ourselves. 
that there's a sense of abiding happiness which we can actually have in life. And that whole idea which we can get, in, get into our heads that everything's just going to let us down in the end, and that it's better not to hope or depend upon anything at all. That idea that we should just depend on ourselves, Paul says that's no way to live. We can be content, and we can be content in any and every circumstance, but not because we're detached from this world. No, we can be content in everything while still being fully here and present. Look with me again at verse 12. Paul writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul isn't detached from his circumstances. He isn't disconnected or unaffected by them. He isn't apathetic to what's going on around him. Rather, he has a contentment which is able to transcend and permeate everything that's going on in his life. And in verse 13, he explains where he finds the source of this contentment. He writes, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We can hope in something. In fact, he's saying we can hope in someone. I can do all this. That is, I can be content in all of this through him who gives me strength. Paul's contentment is not a dependency upon getting something in life. He wasn't other thing dependent. And his contentment was not a dependency upon himself. He wasn't self-dependent. Rather, his contentment comes from Christ, from Jesus. He was Christ-dependent. Paul says that the very key to being content in life is to depend upon Jesus, to trust in Jesus. As the 4th century bishop and theologian, St. Augustine of Hippo, once famously said, Lord, you made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. What does that mean? Well, it means looking at Jesus and trusting and hoping in Jesus the same way we try to hope and trust in everything else. The way we hope and long for a promotion or, or for a raise or for a relationship or for a vacation or just a good night's sleep the way we long to have fun and find comfort and security and pleasure and all those things which look so attractive to us and which seem so important for giving us meaning and purpose. That hope and longing and, and dependency we long for in something else, we're to have that with Jesus. That's what it means to depend on Christ. And that's what it means for us to become content in Christ, to trust him and follow him to lean on him and rest in him. Christian contentment is resting in Jesus. And the key to Christian contentment, to true contentment in life, it, it's this depending on Christ. Suppose has shown us that the key to contentment is to depend on Jesus. It's to trust him and to fall on him, to depend upon Jesus. And what we see is that when we... we have this framework of contentment, and when we become dependent upon Jesus, that, that actually changes the way we live. And there's two things in this passage that I want to highlight now and, and consider in light of depending upon Christ, being content in Christ. And the first thing I want to highlight is a specific nuance with this, this Greek word, autarkes. So I need you to come back with the Greek for me. We're not done with this Greek lesson. Um, so say this word with me again, autarkes getting good at that. Now, there are some other places in the Bible where it talks about contentment and being 
satisfied in Christ. But in the Bible, it uses different words for that. And this specific word that Paul uses here is only used three times in the New Testament. It's used here in Philippians, and then it's also used in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, bear with me, because this is actually significant. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about how they had promised that they would give financial support to the church in Jerusalem. At the time, the church in Jerusalem was experiencing famine and persecution, and they desperately needed financial help and support to just be able to survive. And the Corinthians had said that they would help out. But then they started getting cold feet and they started backing out. So, so Paul wrote a letter to them about this, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, beginning in verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, all sufficiency, that's the word autarkeian, and it's the same Greek word. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he uses it again. In verse, beginning of verse 6, he writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Contentment, autarkias. Again, it's the same root word. Whenever autarkes appears in the New Testament, it's in the context of talking about money. And right now, I'm really glad that we've already taken up the offering. When Paul uses this word here in Philippians, it's in response to the gift he got from the Philippians. Christian contentment, this being dependent upon Jesus, changes the way we perceive and look at how we use our money and how we use all of our resources. When we come to that place of deeply trusting and resting in Jesus, we don't need to trust in our finances or in the stuff we have to give us meaning and significance. We don't need to trust in our money to give us comfort and security. Instead, we can come to see it with different eyes and see how everything we have is ultimately a gift from God. And we should be wise with how we use and steward our resources. But true wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. But the theologian J.I. Packer writes, everyone needs three conversions. Conversion of the mind to gospel truth. Conversion of the heart to embrace the Lord Jesus as Savior and Master. And conversion of the purse, wallet, or pocketbook. The laying of one's money at Christ's feet. And I suspect that there are some of us who aren't going to be able to actually experience contentment the way that we want until we prayerfully allow and invite Jesus into those places of our lives that provide us a feeling of security and comfort, especially with our finances. And I know we have bills to pay and we've got loans and debts we need to pay off, but can I just ask you, have you ever allowed Jesus to speak into how you use and think about how you're going to spend your money? Paul's not done with this conversation yet, though. Let's look at how he talks about this in Philippians. So beginning in, in verse 10, he writes, 
I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul is content, and in his contentment, he is rejoicing. In fact, he's rejoiced greatly. And this is the only time in all of Paul's writings where he quantifies his joy. He rejoices when people become Christians, and he rejoices when he sees people responding to the good news of Jesus. But he rejoices greatly because of how the Philippians used their money. He says that at last you renewed your concern for me. And in the Greek, this conveys this imagery of, of a flower blossoming in the springtime, of something coming back to new life. They have been awakened to give and provide for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And now just to clarify, because this is important, Paul isn't rejoicing in the fact that he got their money. But that's not what he's interested about. He says that he is content. He doesn't need the money. Rather, Paul is rejoicing greatly in the Lord because after 10 years, these Christians in Philippi are proving by their actions and deeds that their trust is in Jesus, not in their bank accounts. Their trust is in Jesus, not in these things which make them feel comfortable and secure. They have eyes for the kingdom of God, and they are willing to make themselves uncomfortable in order that others might know about Jesus. By renewing their concern for Paul and how they gave this gift, they've proven to a watching world that they are depending in Jesus and that they are content in Christ. And that doesn't mean it was easy for them to give, but they gave out of what they had and made themselves feel uncomfortable, frankly. They, they took a risk in order that others might be able to know about the good news of Jesus. Because you see, when we're content, it, it shifts our perspective. Because we're no longer trusting and depending upon other things to give us meaning and significance. Because we're depending on Christ to be our contentment. And when we're content in Christ, that shifts our whole perception of the world and that actually causes us to rejoice all the more greatly in Jesus. The second thing I want to highlight is at the end of this passage. So, so look with me at verse 12. Paul writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, when Paul says in verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength, what does he mean by that? Because let's be honest, some people read this a very certain way. Quite, quite often, that phrase is, people see that phrase and they take it to mean that I can do anything as long as Jesus is with me. I can overcome everything. And they put it on their eyeliner like that behind me. Or people tattoo it onto their bodies. Or, or some people put it on their coffee mugs or hang it in their homes. As a reminder that God is with them and that with Jesus by their side, they can do anything. And I want to be careful here because I don't want to deny that there's a comforting tone to this passage. God does comfort us and he does strengthen us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And you'll find that time and time again all throughout the scriptures. But too often the way that a lot of people like to read this specific verse is colored by a, a cheapened cultural Christianity that actually completely undermines what it is that Paul's trying to say here. And effectively, we, we castrate what Paul is saying. Too often people view these words through kind of a moralistic and a therapeutic lens that seeks to view Jesus as, as the source of their self-empowerment and drive. 
It's a way of, of looking at faith and life that, that makes Jesus actually subservient to us. It, it treats Jesus like he's, he's our genie or something. We, we rub a magic lamp and he comes and he grants us our three wishes. And that view is, is completely opposed to the Christian message. It's antithetical to everything that Paul has actually just said. When we treat Jesus as though he's our genie, we completely miss what it means to depend on Christ. If we treat Jesus like he will come whenever we rub that lamp to grant us our three wishes, then we don't actually know what it means to be content in Jesus. Because that isn't Christian dependency in Jesus. That's, that's actually using Jesus as a tool to get what we want. And that mindset causes us to fundamentally miss what Paul is actually saying. Whenever the New Testament uses this phrase, strengthened in God, or strengthen me, it isn't referring to performing miracles or overcoming impossible odds. That's in the Bible. That's all over the place. But this specific statement isn't used to talk about that. Now, when the Bible talks about someone being strengthened in God, it's referring to the spiritual strengthening of a person in the faith. They are strengthened in Jesus by the very grace of God, with a deepened conviction of the surety of the goodness and love and grandeur and majesty of God, so that they might take some step of faith for the purpose of bringing glory to God and making God known. I'm going to repeat that because I just said a lot in one breath. They are strengthened in Jesus by the very grace of God, with a deepened conviction of the surety of the goodness and love and grandeur and majesty of God, in order that they might take some step of faith for the purpose of bringing glory to God and making him known. Making God known for the first time for those who have never known him. Making God more clearly known for those who have known him for a while. And making God more intimately known for the person who's being strengthened in their faith. Paul isn't saying a message of, of prosperity and therapeutic self-help. He's in jail and he's, he's weak and he's got the marks of being beaten almost to the brink of death because of his following Jesus. And a self-help message wasn't going to save him from that. He wasn't going to get saved from being thrown in jail or having a shipwreck through some self-empowering little message to help himself. And he cares far too deeply about the people he's talking to to give them that sort of message. And I care far too deeply about you in this church to give you a message of self-empowerment. No, Paul, Paul's saying something different. He's saying and he's pleading with us so that we take our eyes off of ourselves and instead fix our gaze firmly upon Jesus. The point of our lives isn't us, but we're made to worship and to glorify God. And when Paul says that he can do all this, he says that he can be content in Christ, dependent and satisfied in Jesus amidst whatever circumstances he faces. He's being strengthened in his conviction and his belief and trust in the risen Jesus in order that God might be seen and known more truly and brilliantly, so that Paul might know God more intimately, so that other Christians like you and me might know Jesus more clearly and truly, and so that people who have never known Jesus can actually come to know who he is. Paul was strengthened in jail to be a witness of Jesus to all the people in Rome. And the gospel advanced because of it. In fact, as we read through the letter of Philippians, we learn that because of Paul's imprisonment and his boldness for Jesus, soldiers in the Roman army became Christians. And members of Caesar's own household learned about Jesus and came to follow Jesus. And Christians all throughout the land were hearing about what Paul was doing and how he was strengthened in, their, in his faith 
And they became emboldened in their faith too. Paul was strengthened in Christ, and he was strengthened through Christ. He was strengthened in his faith, and he was strengthened in the conviction and belief in Jesus so that he could be content no matter what his circumstance was. Because the key to contentment is dependency in Christ. Depending on Christ is the very key to contentment. As St. Augustine said, Lord, you made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We won't find contentment in, in depending upon other things. And we won't find contentment in depending upon ourself. Now, the only way we're going to find contentment in this life is if we depend upon Jesus who made our souls. He is the lover of our souls, and we were made for him. And that's the only place we're going to find our rest. And when we trust in him and when we depend upon him, it's going to change some things. It's going to change how we view the world because we don't need to trust in anything else to give us comfort and security and pleasure. And those things which we do have, we, we come to shift our perspective and we see that we have those things to be a blessing to others, to help others, not for our own gain, but for the sake of others, for the sake of the world. And we can give those things generously and, and freely and with joy because we don't need them to be satisfied in this life. We've got that taken care of. Depending on Christ is the key to contentment. Will you bow your heads and pray with me?